Today, for just a few moments of time, I want to talk to you about this thought, I should have been. And I'll tell you what we should have been in just a few moments of time, but the text is, I should have been. As we look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, it is one of the greatest chapters that is in the entire Word of Almighty God. It is a prophecy of what the Word of God would teach us, the suffering servant of Almighty God. Now, lots of people, unfortunately, that need the truth of that great chapter think that it's referring to a nation meaning the nation of Israel. But hear this old country preacher. That passage of Scripture speaks of the Messiah, Yeshua Hamashiach, the anointed one, the anointed one, the coming one. It speaks again of God's only begotten Son who came to this world through a virgin's womb to become a suffering servant for me and you. Everybody in here that's saved, say amen. That means you were once a sinner, lost and undone, on your way to a devil's hell, and you needed someone to deliver you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, by the grace of God one day, the presence of sin. Well, we have that deliverer. We have that Savior in the Son of God, the only begotten Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I say glory to God about that this morning. So what I'm going to talk to you about, in essence, in reality, I'm going to talk to you about, I should have been. I should have been what? Well, give me time, I'll get there. This message, friend, encompasses quickly and I hope in a pleasing way and most doctrinal messages are dry sometimes they're good they're beneficial but this won't be dry I'm going to be talking to you about the substitution the substitution of Jesus Christ the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ said who did he die for he died for me and you he died for every man, woman, boy or girl that has lived, is living, or ever shall live. And you want me to tell you what? This doctrine of substitution runs through the Bible from the book of generation to the book of Revelation, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. In Genesis 3:21, God brought Adam and Eve coats of skin so he could cover their nakedness. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8, I believe it is, the Bible says that God saw Jesus as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Hey, I want you to know the Word of God teaches the substitutionary death of an innocent somebody, whether it be an animal or Jesus Christ himself, the Lamb of God, so that you and I could be saved and live instead of die. And somebody that's, ought to, that's saved ought to say, whoop, glory, hallelujah, amen. Now, if we, if we can't get happy over the fact, and I'll tell it to you again, Christ died for our sins. I don't know what you can get happy about if we don't realize that because Christ died for our sins, we're not going to hell. Hey, that ought to make somebody say glory. 
Hallelujah. I don't know about y'all, but I'm happy I'm saved. And I'm happier and I'm saved than you're happier than I'm saved. But we're happy we're all saved. And sinner friend, we want you saved. You ought to be so under conviction you can't even swallow. If you need some water, I won't give you mine because I won't drink. If you'll drink after me, I'll give it to you. You can get me a new bottle, but I won't drink after you after you take it. We'll get you some water if you're thirsty. You say, what is it? It's the water of life. It doesn't come out of a bottle. Thank God, it comes out of the throne, the substitutionary death of Christ. I, I want you to know something. If you look at the Word of God, we'll find out that, that, that I, believe, I believe the first animal that was killed in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned so that their sins could be atoned for. Under the New Covenant, in the New Testament, ours are remitted, ours are washed away. Theirs were just put on hold for about 4,000 years. But it was still good. You know what kind of animal was killed, I believe, by God? So to get coats of skin to bring them to Adam and Eve. I said this one time, and I still believe it, and I know that they got coats of skin, but I believe they're the first ones to wear wool. Oh, that was funny. Y'all act, act like it wasn't. I know they were coats of skin, but it was a lamb, without a doubt. And look, let me tell you something. Follow this through really quick. I don't have much time. In the beginning, there was a lamb for a man. In the book of Exodus, uh, let me get this right, because it's too good to get wrong. At least I think it's good, or else it wouldn't be in this message. In the book of Genesis, it was a lamb for a man. In the book of Exodus, chapter 12, in the night of the Passover, it was a lamb for a household. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, on the Day of Atonement, it was a lamb for a nation. Hold on, there's something better. John, looking at Jordan, looked at Jesus coming, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It was a lamb for whosoever will. That means you, sir. That means you, ma'am. I don't care how sin has affected you. I don't care how dark you've gone in, in the depths of sin. God will deliver you from the regions of the damned today. If you repent and by faith receive him. Today, as we partake once again of this communion, we're commanded, as I read 1 Corinthians 11, to remember. That's what we're going to do. Not only, friend, to remember what Jesus has done, but we're called to anticipate seeing him that had died, who, who was buried, that arose, and he lives forevermore. We're to anticipate that. And, and if I think I'm right, and I know what I'm going to get in response, if you that are saved are excited about that, say amen like you mean it. I, I heard us singing those songs. That was pretty good. There was a song that was real popular in Christian circles a few years ago. And this may help you understand the reason I guess the Lord gave me this text. You remember the, the song that said, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have died on the, but Christ died in the cross. Uh, he hung on the cross in my place. And Jesus, God's son, took my place. I had that down pat when I was at the house. That's why I didn't write it down. 
He is our substitute. So think with me in this message what we should have been. We should have been. Now look, we're in this season, as I just said, that we, uh, in, in a different way, that we commemorate and celebrate the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and came out from among the dead for our justification. At the end of this month, on the 30th, the Lord willing, on the first Sunday, after, uh, on the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox in the year, we gather to celebrate resurrection. Can I tell you, Christianity has a message that no other religion does. You know what the message is? He lives, and we can too. Glory. Well, you say, preacher, I'm living now. No, you're dead in your sin. But thank God, you come to meet Jesus, you'll know what living's all about. You'll know what living's all about. This is an old, old story. I mean, to tell you, friend, it's an old, it's been told to, uh, for over 2,000 years. It was prophesied for 4,000 years before that. But I'll tell you what, everybody in here that's saved, if it seems new to you every time you hear it, say amen. I mean, isn't it exciting? I mean, it's like, it's like God gives an edge of newness, not it. Every time, friend, listen. Can I tell you everything they did to Jesus? They should have done it to me. Now, I want you to take this message personal. They should have done it to you, and we ought to say that. It should have been done to me. You see, I should have died. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered. But, oh, thank God, God sent his son to die for an unworthy, dirty, low-down sinner that deserved the pits of a devil's hell. But since April the 23rd, 1974, I've been on my way to heaven by the grace of God. So I'm going to suggest something to you. And I know I'm being repetitious. I'm going to suggest that as we begin looking with our a clear, maybe clear understanding and what we have in the past, that we see, friend, and realize that what Jesus experienced, I should have. You, you know what I think we do too many times? I think we too, look too lightly at the cross. I think we get kind of used to the fact that we're saved and on our way to heaven. I think we have a tendency maybe, and not because we're mean and ugly people, not because of that, but because we're so used to it. I think we, we tend to forget what conviction was like. How, how, how we were broken under the weight of, of God's hand on us. How we dreaded hell. How we dreaded standing before God in judgment to give an account of why we rejected his son. Do y'all remember that? Anybody besides me remember the day or night you got saved? You remember how the day was? You remember how it ended? Y'all know what's between those two? Our salvation and a man in the name of Jesus Christ who told us and showed us that, listen, we could be made a new creature. You say, why did Christ do that? Well, God so loved the world. But let me tell you something else that he did. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he tells us that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us. Now listen to these words. Endured the cross and despise the shame. 
I don't know how I could have made anybody happy when I was a sinner, Josh. Except the people that once I turned around to leave, I made them happy. Anybody ever have the long arm of the law reach out on you and, and lay their hand on your shoulder when you were a sinner? Now I've been in jail many times. On the right side as a preacher. And I say glory about that. But I want you to know, honestly, were it not for the grace of God and a good-hearted deputy that was twice as big as me knew that this was a stupid young man, showed it. Doug, you remember when we went down to Hamlin, need I say more? My big brother was helping me. You remember that? Herb Miller. You remember that? You got that memory, don't you? Do you? Okay. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus took my place. And listen, that's good news, but it gets even better. And because he did, I don't have to suffer any of that stuff. And I say glory. Glory, glory, glory. He did it for all of us, so I should have been. You see, we don't have the time to look at everything that I'd like to, but I want you to turn quickly with me from place to place. Chapter 22 of the book of, uh, of the gospel according to Luke, and I want us to look at a specific verse, but I want you to consider verses 39 through 46. This is the night before his crucifixion. This event took place at the foot of Mount Olives in an olive grove. It was just across from Mount Moriah, just across the Kedron Valley. The temple was in view at that time. The eastern gate is clearly seen. The lion's gate can be seen from, from that advantage point. It was there that night. Judas had already gone uh, to lead a band of soldiers from the Sanhedrin with swords and staves to capture our Lord. Jesus took his 11 apostles from the upper room down the Mount Moriah, across the Kedron Valley, and up just a little bit, somewhere where he prayed. We don't know. We just know uh, the tra a traditional site. But we do know it was the Mount of Olives. He's left, he left how many, nine of his disciples, eight of his disciples, excuse me, behind and took with him Peter, James, and John a little bit farther. And he told them to tarry here and watch and pray while I go yonder and pray. And look, friend, it'll do you good. Do you good if you would read this same prayer Jesus prayed three times? But look at this. I am amazed at what we find here. Listen to what the Word of God says beginning. I'm going I'm to have to read verse 22 or 42 and following. He began to say, Father, if thou wilt remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now listen. I'll get to the verse I'm going to get to in just a minute. <laughs> But according to what that next verse says, it's just wasn't an ordinary lay me down to sleep, good night, I'll see you in the morning prayer. 
He said, how do you get that? Look at the next verse. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And look at the insight in verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And he was praying so earnestly that the Bible said, his sweat was as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. That should have been me. That should have been me. I should have been on my knees, on my face, crying out to God for mercy, for, for, for grace, for him to spare me and to deliver me from an eternal separation from God and my place in darkness and doom and damnation forever. Can't imagine being in such agony. He knew what was ahead. He knew what the cross meant. He knew what he would have to endure so that he could enjoy us with him in heaven. In agony, extreme, extreme, tense pressure. Can we imagine that? Hemotidrosis is what this is according to medical evidence. Did that really happen? Yes, it did. He began to shed blood even in the garden. I want you to know, friend, listen, that was one of the darkest places Jesus went. If I'm not careful, I'll stay here the rest of the day. But I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that his prayer was heard and answered in the garden. He wasn't asking God to keep him from Calvary. He wasn't afraid of dying. He said, look, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down and I'll take it up again. So he wasn't afraid of Calvary. Did, did, he, did he enjoy it? No, he endured it. He enjoyed what it brought. But you know what I believe with all of my heart? The Bible says that, that, that he was sorrowful in, in Matthew and Mark. Sorrowful. Watch this next two words, unto death. I believe with all of my heart, the devil and all the demons from the pit of hell were trying to kill him in that garden to keep him from Calvary. I believe that with all of my heart. And if you don't, when we get to heaven, you'll, you'll, you'll see that I'm either right or wrong. But listen to the phrase, he was sorrowful unto death. Don't, don't let that phrase pass you by. He didn't want to drink what was in the cup. Everybody in here that knows your sins, say amen. Everybody in here that's glad you don't know my sins, shout glory. <laughs> you ought to anyway. Could you imagine? And I got to go after this. I'm not done, but I got to go. Can you imagine being so holy? That like 1 John Chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That means that God is light. He is so holy, he is so pure, he is so sinless that there is not even one little speck of dirt or sin on him. And yet that cup, that cup that he was to drink was full of my sins and your sins and the dregs of all of them. Could you imagine somebody holy? Whew. 
pressing that cup to his lips, the cesspool of my sins and your sins, the stench of it, the taste of it, and yet he drunk it all. Listen, that should have been me. He took my agony so that I could experience his glory. Turn to Matthew 26 quickly. Oh, I've got to hurry. Verses 57 through 68 is where, if you follow up on this to read, I would, I would suggest that you read, but I want to focus in on verse 67. I want you to look at his humiliation. Oh, I wish I had time to read all of this, and maybe, maybe I should take the time. We got communion, folks. It's going to take a while. All right. And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas immediately out of Gethsemane after this prayer where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat and the servants with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. And yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And at last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and, and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it uh, which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. As Isaiah said he would as a lamb, okay, taken to the slaughter. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power of glory and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we witness of witness? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Now look at this. Look at the humiliation of Christ. Then did they spit in his face. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, when we were boys, you spit on our shoes and you were in a fight. Y'all remember that? You talking about a demeaning, humiliating act. And listen, we're not just talking about any man. We're talking about the God-man. We're talking about God in the flesh. They spat in his face. Now, y'all know what that's a picture of? Not only did they, but the Romans, which represent the world. You know what that tells us? Anybody remember about the kinsman redeemer? I read and dug out one time. I don't remember my source, but it absolutely stuck with me that when somebody, and I know they had to pull their shoe off and give it to them, you know, when they denied being the kinsman uh, redeemer, that they would spit in their face. 
and say it didn't touch y'all like it did me. You know what they're saying to Jesus? I don't want you as my Savior. I, I, don't, I don't need you. Listen, sinner friend, if there is anybody in your lost, you need a Savior, and it is not you. Humiliation. My, the many things that they did to him that day. Let me read on. They buffeted him. Others smote him with the palms of their hands. You know what? That should have been me. That should have been you. Look at the book of John, chapter 19 and verse 1. Jesus was delivered up by the Sanhedrin to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome or, or of Jerusalem the representative of Rome. Pilate had already tried him at this time. Pilate had already said, I find no fault in him. And yet, listen to what the Word of God said. We saw his agony in the garden, just saw his humiliation before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. But now look at the scourging that he received from Pilate. For no reason. No reason. Listen now. I'm going to quantify this. No reason for anything he had done. Uh, let, me, let me help y'all see something here real quick. You know why they spat on Jesus? You know why they buffeted him? You know why they smoted him? You know why they crowned him? You know why they mocked him? You know why they took a reed and, and beat him? Do you know why they plucked uh, uh, his hair out of his face? Do you, do you know why they plowed his back like a field? Do you know why they ripped his beard out of his face? He didn't deserve it. He knew no sin. He had no sin. He did no sin. But... He was my representative. He was my substitute. And because I was a sinner, because I was depraved in my nature, he took it all for me. Y'all do know that, right? The scourgings of the Romans was not like the scourgings of the Jew. The Jew limited their stripes to 40 minus 1, 39. But they took a cat of nine tails. It was a stick that had leather thongs on the end of it. Who up and down those nine leather thongs had stones and pieces of glass in it to wear when the lictor hit that, uh, that, that person that was under condemnation. It literally ripped their skin. Listen, before the day was over at Calvary, Isaiah said back up in chapter 52, his vestige or his image was unlike any other man. It was so bad that he didn't even look like a man. Don't ever, don't ever in Isaiah 53 where it says he had no uh, a beauty that we should desire him, that it was speaking about the man Jesus that was born a virgin that lived 33 and a half years on planet earth. He was handsome. He was admirable. Hey, listen, you would be drawn to him, but all oh, folks, listen. And he became my sin. 
and your sin. When he took my place and yours, he became all that was ugly. Are y'all getting this? He became all. It began to manifest itself in, in how sin really, hey, sin is only pleasurable for a season. I hate these card commercials and these bulletin boards and all of this stuff that presents, you know, sin and its beauty. You know, they call it Budweiser, it's Bud Dumber. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's all good time. But boy, if they look behind the commercials, the death and the broken homes and the bruises and, and the hospitals and, and all that goes along with I, I got to go on. I got to go on. Look in John 19, 2 and 3. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns put it on his head and they put on, on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him. They mocked him. The soldiers mocked him. And I'm going to turn quickly. You stay there to Matthew 27. And I've got to get a couple of verses here and add to this. But listen to what Matthew said. There it is. They stripped him. They plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. A reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And here it is again, a different group. They spit upon him and took the reed and smoked him. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off and put his clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. You know what? I should have been mocked. I should have had that crown of thorns pressed on my head. But he had it because he took my place. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, if you will, really quickly. Chap not chapter, but the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. And I'm almost done, although I'm not done. There's nowhere in the Word of God that describes the crucifixion of Jesus. All four gospel writers, I think all four, says that when he got to Calvary, it just says something like there, they crucified him. For the people of that day, there was no need to describe crucifixion. And let's be honest, for the people of this day, we don't need to know how gross and gruesome it was. You ever try to think about crucifixion, though? I, I couldn't stand it. I mean, I've tried, and it, I, I get literally sick. I mean, I, I just I can't stand those kind of things. And listen, it, it, it adds to, especially when I realize and admit that it should have been done to me. That somebody loved me enough to take my place. I don't have time to read all this, but he begins with saying, My God, my God, why hast thou fought? forsaken me why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaming he said in verse 6 but i am a worm and no no man approach of men and despised of the people verse 12 
Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. And they gaped upon me with their mouth as a ravening and a roaring lion. They came by and said, Hey, Jesus, if thou be the Son of God, come down and we'll believe you. They would say things like he saved others. He cannot save himself. And how true that is. If he had come down from the cross, you and I would be in a devil's hell today. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. In verse 16, for dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet and may tell all my bones. They stare and look upon me. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vestige. You know what they did? Go ahead, Judy. They crucified him. That should have been me. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. Jesus took my place and your place. And probably, maybe, and I don't know whether it is, I just said probably, maybe. The worst moment on the cross for Jesus. It would have been something for a holy God to be made my sin. Just T.K. Price's sin. But he became not only mine, but yours. And not only mine and yours, but everyone else's. And on top of that, there was a moment in time, in the last three hours of darkness, near the end, I believe, that Jesus cried that lamenting cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I should have been forsaken by God. I should have one day stood before him. And when he asked me what I did with his son Jesus, I would have had to say, I heard about him, but I rejected him. And I would have heard the father say to an angel, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. I should have been forsaken by God. And yet Jesus, God's Son, took my place.